the human race. And he was building a plan and building a plan that ultimately came to its, its full beauty in the coming of Jesus Christ. God, once again, wanting to partner with humanity, this time by becoming a man himself, by humbling himself into human form, he came in the person of Jesus. And he identified with our experiences. We've sung about all this stuff this morning, which is beautiful. He identified with our experiences. He lived a perfect life, and then he died on our behalf. And all the perfection of him was credited to our account. And all our sin and our rebellion against God and our contribution to the breakdown of the world was taken on to Jesus. And this beautiful exchange happened. And now every human being has the choice in light of what God's done. Every human being is, is presented with a choice. Either you can continue in, in rejection of God and his, his, his good rule and what he's done for us to bring us back under that good rule, the sacrifice of Christ. We can choose to stay there and, 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 and face and suffer the consequences of that, which is continual chaos and ultimately death. Or we can trust in who God is and what Jesus has done and the sacrifice that he's made, have that goodness, that perfection credited to our account, and join something so much bigger than ourselves, God's great rescue plan, God's great kingdom, which is the future age where everything is perfect, all wrongs have been righted, and we can have, we can be a, have a part of that. And we've got a part to play in that, because that kingdom has been breaking in for 2,000 years, ever since Jesus went to the cross. God's kingdom, his rule, his good world is being restored. And he's been building a whole new humanity. And that's what Paul's been talking about in the book of Ephesians. He's been building a people from all different backgrounds who want to live under his good name, live under his banner, be a part of his kingdom. And he calls it the new humanity. He actually goes at some point and calls it one new person. He says it's, it's, it's so tight, it's so, it's so unified that I'm actually going to call it one person almost. And that's the, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and you and us as members of that body together, together with thousands of people, the people of God, the saints, for, for thousands of years, that's who we are. And all of this is because of, of God's goodness towards us, of God's, Paul mentioned it earlier, God's grace, his unmerited favor towards you and me that we didn't deserve. He's come and done it, and he's come and made it happen. So that's the first half of, of the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to have some more water. Oh, thank you very much. So that's the first half of the book of Ephesians. And now we've crept into the second half, chapter 4. Thank you. Chapter 4, and Paul kicks it off with the word, therefore. And he says, in light of everything you've heard, there's some implications. <coughs> there's a life I've got for you to live. There's, there's things I've got for you to accomplish. Deeds I've, I've, I've set out in front of you for you to walk in. And that's where we are now. And he, he started off by saying, hey, um, there's a bunch of differences in the room today and in my church at large, which actually we need to put aside for the sake of unity. There's things that are more important than a bunch of our differences. And those things we chatted about last week, those things are the highest common denominator of who God is, of what he's done. And he's called us to be patient with each other's differences and bear with one another in love and rally around, do everything we can to <coughs> maintain the unity that we have. So there are these differences that we need to put aside, but there are differences that we actually need to lean into in order to experience the fullness of what God has for us, even in, in many ways, the fullness of who God is. And um, <coughs> that's what we're going to get into now as we, as we read this passage, and we're going to read the whole thing. But I just wanted to say, there is legitimate godly diversity that we need to push into. Okay, It's not a call to complete nonconformity, because actually we're all being conformed into the image 
of Jesus. We're all becoming like Jesus, sons and daughters of God. But there is legitimate godly diversity that we need to embrace and that Paul's going to encourage us into. And so uh, for those of us who are maybe part of this church or Christ followers, my prayer is that today we catch a glimpse of <coughs> what the church is meant to be like, the beautiful picture of the body of Christ that, that God wants for us. And if you're not a Christ follower, I, I, I pray a couple of things for you. I pray that you would know God's love for you, um, that he has been thinking of you for millennia. He's seen your day come, and he wants you to be a part of his family, be a part of his kingdom. And I hope you can get a glimpse of what it would look like, possibly, to take a first step into that new world, into that new community, be a part of that new humanity, and, uh, and what it would look like to, to take part in that life. So that's my prayer for us. But now we're going to read uh, the first 12 verses. We've already gone through the first six in the last few weeks, but we're going to read the whole chunk. So let's go. Ephesians 4, from verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, <coughs> bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's how we're meant to live as Christ followers. And there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, <coughs> who is over all and through all and in all. There's so much unity that we need to hold to. Then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, <coughs> when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, Paul explains this a bit, um, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he picks up his previous thought on, on the gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. <clears throat> this whole passage has, has one final little movement which we're going to get to next week. It's the, the unpacking of, of what this fullness and what this the strengthened body, um, why it needs to be there. But um, let's get going unpacking today's text. And the first thing I want to point to us is the fact that God wants a strengthened church. God wants a strengthened church. And I use the word strengthened rather than strong because strong sets up a feeling of it's now arrived and it's all perfect and we're good to go. But actually there is an ever-increasing strengthening that needs to happen. And I get this from verse 12, uh, right at the bottom, uh, where it says, uh, for building up the body of Christ. There's all these gifts, there's all these things talking about, but the climax, if we can go to the verse, please, the climax is the fact that it says, for building up the body of Christ. And the body, again, is that picture of the church. It's Jesus as the head, our source, our guide, um, leading all of us, making up his body. And next week, Drew is going to unpack all the reasons that uh, God would want to strengthen body, but I'm going to touch on a few of them uh, now just to give us a taste. Um, here's some thoughts of why the church needs to be constantly strengthened. Some are from the, the verses that are going to come after, and some are from elsewhere. The first is this, is that Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church, okay? He's building his church, and he's chosen to partner with us. And think about someone that you love. Uh, do you have a desire for that person to uh, 
be weak in any sense, in any shape or form? Or do you want to see that person strive from strength to strength to grow in maturity, <clears throat> to be able to handle themselves in certain situations, whatever it might be? Think of your spouse, perhaps. Surely, if you love her, your, your desire is for her to flourish, or your desire for him is to flourish and become all they were meant to be. Maybe it's your child. Surely, you want your child to grow up and be strong and live into the whole fullness that you want for them. And imagine you were to die for someone that you loved. Surely you would want them to, to go for it. If, if you had to give your life so that someone else could live, you would want them to go from strength to strength. So the church needs to be strengthened because Jesus loves his church and he's got good things for us. The second is this, is that it's a kingdom outpost displaying God's kingdom to the world. Okay, God's kingdom is that future age of perfection, living under the rule and reign of God, with injustice removed and everything functioning as it should. But the church is meant to be the little community that shows the rest of the world what that kingdom age is meant to be like. It's part of, it's part of our way of telling the world about Christ. It's by them seeing what that kingdom looks like and how that kingdom should function. Very different from the kingdoms of the world. The next thing is this, if you think about it, um, things tend... In this age, the fallen age, tend towards chaos and they tend towards brokenness. All right? Um, if you just leave things, <coughs> typically they don't just turn out for the positive, unfortunately. If you just leave your body, it's probably going to die. Yeah, yeah like, like mine is right now. Okay? It's, it, it's not just going to magically uh, become healthy. You need to be intentional. You need to feed it. You need to sustain it. Okay? If you think of a beautiful garden, if you just leave it to its own accord, weeds are going to grow up. Things are going to spread. No, things need to be tended to in this age. And so God wants us to be intentional about building his church with him so that it can succeed, so that it can be strong, so that it won't uh, break down. We need to build up the body. Otherwise, it can be torn down. We also need the church to be strengthened because dangerous teaching can come in and sway us onto a whole bunch of different paths and different agendas that aren't what Christ has for us and what Christ wants for us. So the body needs to be strengthened. And lastly, we'll see it next week, but actually a strong body means that we actually get a clearer and fuller vision of who Jesus is. There's lots of ways that that works out, and we'll touch on a bit of it uh, today. But these are some massive reasons of why we need, sorry, the rest can come up, of why we need a strengthened church, why we need to be ourselves as, as common ground a strengthened church, and why all the other local churches in the city and the globe need to be strengthened. But what's next is this, that actually every single one of us has gifts, and we have a part to play. We have a part to play in the strengthening of the church. So where do I get this? Verse 7, verses 11, 12. And verse 16, which we are not looking at today, but I'll mention it. Let me just read it. Paul said, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes on. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, these are um, leadership type gifts, to equip the saints for works of ministry. We'll unpack that in a second now. And you get to the end of this whole thing in verse 16. It won't be on the screens. But it says, from him, that's Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what Paul says. That's how he ends this whole, this whole section. So here's the big idea. God gave us his grace, his unmerited favor. Right at the beginning, when um, we took that first step of faith, that was by grace. 
God came and he, he gave us the gift of faith. He opened our eyes to be able to see who Jesus was. And we have been saved, rescued from our sin by grace through faith. So there's grace to be saved. But actually, what this verse is telling us is that actually there's also grace given to us in order for us to serve. And so we're saved by grace, but we still continually walk by grace. We don't just accept God's favor on us and, and his work in our lives and then put that aside the moment we take our first step into the Christian life and just try to do everything else in our own strength. No, it's empowered by God's presence and his grace. And Paul says here, God's grace, his undeserved favor, has actually been given to each one of us in different forms. And that means that every single Christ follower Every single one of us in this room has been gifted and has been wired uniquely for the life that God has called you to. And if you go back into Ephesians 2, uh, Paul says there that he's prepared, God has prepared good works for each of us to walk into. There's stuff that God has, has, has set up in our path, in our life, that only us in our unique wiring and our unique gifting in the unique place and time that he's placed us in can walk in. And he's given us all these different gifts and all these different things, which we'll unpack shortly. But what are these gifts used for? I said it's used for, for walking in these good deeds. Another word for that is, is ministry. Is ministry. The word ministry is the word service. Is the word to do, good, to do good things, to serve people, to serve one another. And the whole key that I really hope that we get today is the fact that who does ministry in the local church? Who does ministry in the local church? Paul says it's the saints. And the saints are the people of God. That's who does ministry. The preacher is not the only one doing ministry in a church. Okay, I am not the minister. The elders are not actually the ministers. The ministers, according to the Bible in Ephesians 4, the ministers are the people. We are the people that do ministry. In fact, a lot of the, the leadership gifts that have been mentioned there and the pastoral team and all that are actually there to help the whole church play their part and use their gifts to do ministry, which will strengthen the body. <clears throat> and I'd love to just bring in two other texts here because Paul's focusing on some leadership gifts here. Those are the ones he mentions, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But he's also talking about the fact that every Christ follower has a gift. And so two passages I'd love to just check out quickly. First Peter 4, 10 to 11 says this. This is Peter writing now. Listen to how similar it is. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Peter here, just like Paul says, You've got a gift, and it's not yours by default because it's a gift. You didn't generate it. You didn't create it. God's given it to you. And then he commands, and he says, use it. Each one of you should use the gift that you have been given. And um, if we don't steward, that's, that's the word he uses there, steward. It's stewarding something that's not yours, but you've been given it with the responsibility to use it. If we don't use our gifts, if we're bad stewards, it has consequences on the rest of the body, much like the national anthems had, had consequences on the rugby team. If we don't play our part, and we don't use our gifts and our strengths, um, people are not going to receive the unmerited grace of God like they should. 
if you think about the privilege that we've been given, we've been given the privilege of stewarding God's grace and God's favor to one another. That is, it's a huge privilege. It's a huge responsibility, and it's a huge, huge privilege. And I love that Peter says it's God's varied grace. It's God's very grace. There are different manifestations of God's grace that we all need, that different people need at different times, and different people have the ability to, to be a conduit for that grace. And if people who need God's grace in specific forms uh, don't receive it from the people who could give it, they're going to be impoverished for it. They're going to be impoverished for it. And so these gifts that God's given us, the way he's wired us, it's there to serve others. The church doesn't exist as a platform <coughs> for you to strut your stuff and use your gifts. No, your gifts are there to serve the needs of the people around you, the church around you, the body of Christ. And then ultimately, God gives the glory. In this whole thing, it's not about us. There's gifts that aren't from us. We use them not for us to serve others. And ultimately, God gets the glory. We are just these conduits of God's grace, which is a beautiful, beautiful privilege. And let me quickly read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. It just gives us a, a taste of all the different gifts. It's not the whole list of gifts, and there's no complete list of gifts in the New Testament. But just listen to this passage from Paul again to the Corinthians this time. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, diversity and unity. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish <coughs> between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, you might be wired in one of these areas, and God, I hope, today is, is going to whisper to you and urge you to a, a, a further usage of your gifts that he's, that he's given you. And I don't think we need to get dogmatic about this. I don't think you need to say, hey, I've got this one gift, and therefore I'm never going to serve in any other capacity, and I'm never going to try any of the other things. No, 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 no. I think these gifts um, are not like officers, like you are the healer, and you are the wisdom guru, and you are the whatever. No, no, no. God can give us blends of different gifts and, and levels of different gifting in each of these things. And sometimes you can use a gift that you've never had before, and God uses you in a moment, and then you might never use it again. So don't feel limited. Feel free to explore and, and serve God and serve others. But see it as the privilege of God partnering with us to bring his grace and his goodness and his love to the people around us. So that's the second point. The third one is this, from this text back into Ephesians, is the fact that some gifts, gifts help to equip the rest. Some gifts help equip the rest. I get this from verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers <coughs> to equip, sorry, <coughs> to equip the saints for works of ministry. And so I want to quickly give us a little download of these, of these five gifts that are mentioned here. Um, people call it uh, the fivefold ministry, uh, the Ephesians four gifts, sometimes they're known. In fact, quite a few commentators I read um, think that these are actually probably four gifts. The shepherd-teacher thing might be a, com a combined gift based on 
the wording in the Greek, but that doesn't really matter to us now. Let me quickly explain um, uh, some stuff of these gifts. Um, uh, for my best reading, I don't think these, again, are strict offices. Um, I think there was an office of apostle, and I think there was an office of the prophet, but those offices are closed. Uh, there was the early apostles in the first century who wrote scripture, who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, who planted and started the churches. And then there were the Old Testament prophets who literally opened their mouth and said, thus says the Lord, and boom, everything they said was 100% accurate. I believe those offices are closed, but the gifts are still in function. And so the apostolic gift, the gift of the apostle, is someone who, who plants churches and pioneers and starts new things. That's what the apostolic gift is. The prophetic gift, it could be a preaching gift. It could be someone who's, who's just amazingly gifted at, at opening up passages of Scripture um, and bringing them in such a timely fashion. But also there is the prophetic gift that is definitely broader. We see elsewhere in the Scriptures where people can, can speak for God in a moment in a timely fashion. And that gift has to be submitted to the scriptures. We don't just, they're, they're, it's never going to contradict anything that the Bible says. And it's submitted to leadership. But it is a way that God comes and he strengthens and he equips his church by speaking specific things into the moment. Saying, hey, God's called you to go do this. That's God equipping his people. Speaking through the gift of prophecy and equipping people. The evangelists are people who are just amazing at explaining the, the sort of narrow gospel message. They might not know the whole counsel of God and be able to expand everything of Scripture, but actually they are just amazingly gifted at explaining Jesus' love for us and the gospel message of the good news, the fact that Jesus died for us. And the evangelists bring in people into the body of Christ. They, they, they bring in new members into the kingdom, into the family, um, to strengthen the body, for us to be able to use our gifts to serve and they can teach others and the rest of us how to actually share our faith. We can learn a lot from them. And then there's the shepherds and the teachers. Shepherds talks about that pastoral heart, that care for people. And the teaching is the teaching of God's word, of the whole counsel of God, of who God is, what he's done, what his call for us is, what we can expect, what are his promises, how do his gifts work, how, do, how should the gifts function together. That's how I think all these, these five gifts here work together. Remember, these are... These are coaching gifts while the whole church is on the field playing the game. It's not just these gifts operating. The goal of, of Christ followers is not to be an upfront leader and to think if, that, if that's not you, you haven't made it. It's absolute rubbish. We need to break that down. Our gifts, every single gift in this room is hugely important, whatever that be, might be, whatever God has given you. We're all doing ministry. The last thing I want to say is, before we get into some applications, <clears throat> is the fact that Jesus died for this to happen. Jesus died for this to happen. For this vision of a kingdom outpost, for this vision of a new humanity to be built up and to be strengthened, and for all these gifts to be playing their part, Jesus died to make it happen. And um, I get this from the section here where Paul quotes Psalm 68. He quotes a little passage of it, and then he sort of expounds it, and this is it here in verse 8 to 10. (coughs) Paul says, hey, there's these gifts that have been given. Christ's grace has been distributed to each of us, and then he says, it's basically a fulfillment. He says, therefore it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, <coughs> that he might fill all things. 
<coughs> it's the spatial language, but it's talking about the fact that God left the heights of heaven and he came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And this act of love and humility that ultimately resulted in him being strung up on a cross. And there's this beautiful passage in the Bible that says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For something amazing on the other side of his death, he knew there was something brilliant, something beautiful that he was going to accomplish, but he had to, he had to go through death. He had to go through the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was fixing the brokenness and the chaos of this world. He was starting the reboot of all creation. On the cross, Jesus was dealing with our human rebellion against God. On the cross, Jesus was taking our punishment that we deserved and giving us his grace. He was removing our sin and giving us the opportunity to be placed in God's kingdom, in God's family. And the ultimate goal was for Jesus to unite all things under his feet, under his rule, in perfect harmony, and to get rid of the, the counter-kingdoms that we've set up that have been at war with his good, beautiful rule since the beginning of time. And he died, and he rose again, and he triumphed over his enemies, and he put them to open shame. It says in Colossians, he freed us from the captivity of Satan, sin, and death. The captives that Jesus led here, it's either the fact that these captives are Satan, sin, and death, the enemies, and him like a conquering king is parading them in front of the world, saying, I've put them to open shame. I've defeated them. I am their conqueror. Or, could be both, we are the captives who are held captive to Satan, sin, and death, and are now freed, and are now with Jesus, and are now going with him in the heavenly places, and are going to be seated with him in glory and in power. I don't know which one it is, but whatever it is, God has chosen to partner with us. Because when he, when, he, when he ascended back to the right hand of God, what happens is he poured out his Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, a new era in the world. And he poured out his Holy Spirit and he poured out these spiritual gifts and he appointed them to each and every one of us for us to, to continue his good work in the world. The gifts are not about us. Your life and the way God has wired you are just another part of the great story of what Jesus has accomplished and what he is accomplishing in human history. And you have a part in that story, and I have a part in that story. And so I just want to end with a few <coughs> applicational thoughts here. And the big overarching thought is, take the next step in your walk. Paul in his whole letter is talking about the fact that you used to walk like this, then God saved you from your sins. He set you up with a new path, a new life. Walk on that path. Walk into the good things that have been given to you. Walk in a certain way. Walk worthy of this great calling. Walk. Live your life. God's in control. And he is building his church. And if you don't play your part, he is sovereign. And he will work all things for good ultimately. But I want to say, why would you want God to work in spite of you rather than working through you? Why would you want to... If you don't play your part, God's going to have to work in spite of you. Why would you want that when God has desired to, to work through you? And so, what are some of these next steps? I've got four or five from different people, for different people. If you have never trusted Christ at all, your first step today is to repent of your sin, which means to, to turn away, to turn away from it, to reject it, and turn to Jesus, and believe that what he did on the cross was enough to reconcile you to God and give you a whole new life. 
and a whole new trajectory and a whole new trajectory, a whole new uh, destiny. So that might be your first step. Repent and believe. That's the first step of the Christian faith. But it's only the first step. Maybe your next step is to join a local church. You might be a Christian and you might be able to say, yeah, I go to that church down the road sometimes. I go there. But maybe God's calling you today to change that language and to change the way you view church. And it's not just that church you go to, but actually that's the church that I'm a part of. Those are my people. Those are the brothers and sisters that God has called me to put ahead of myself and serve with my gifts. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is this, to pray and to practice, to find out how God has wired you. My advice from my life and what I see in the scriptures, what I've seen from people around me, is to not just sit on your couch and wait for God to tell you what your gift is before you go and try and do stuff for Jesus. No, no, no. Go broad. Try as much as you can. Pray for people to be healed. Try and teach people the Bible. Um, Try and encourage people. Uh, If you've got the gift of giving, be generous, whatever it might be. And you will see over time where the grace flow really is. You'll see where the anointing really is, how God has definitely set you up and anointed you. And people will confirm that. Rigby, who leads Common Ground, has this great phrase. He says, no calling of God is self-generated or self-commissioned. But God is going to show you. He's going to call you. He's going to reveal to you how you can do things. And the people around you will confirm that. Don't pick a gift and try and smash that gift because maybe God hasn't wired you that way. And then put your gifts to use. Most gifts, even gifts that could be used for uh, bigger scenarios or leadership things, can be used in almost any sphere in the church, in your life group in particular, on Sundays. Man, you can encourage, you can bring a scripture, you can bring a prophetic word, you can pray for someone to be healed, you can bring a word of knowledge, whatever it might be, you can use it probably today. So I'd urge you to put your gift to use. And lastly, equip yourself. Equip yourself to steward these gifts. Ask for, ask for help from leaders. Ask for um, wisdom from the Bible and instructions on how to use these gifts. Find someone who's got similar gifts to you and learn from them, who's ahead of you in the journey. Whatever it is, continually equip yourself because there's always a next step. We're never going to arrive in this life, in our, in our character, in our formation, or in the use of our gifts. There's always a next step. So let's figure out what that is for you and step into it. That's my message. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Paul. (coughs) Father God, thank you so much for the great cosmic story that you've given us the privilege to be partakers of, God. We thank you for your grace, which has saved us, forgiven us of our sins, adopted us into the family, set us up with a new life and a new trajectory, But God, we thank you that you haven't just now left us there. Your grace is continually available. Your unmerited favor is continually available to us to help us walk the life that you've got for us. Walk into the good deeds you've called us to. So God, I pray for every single person in this church that they would recognize that you've put them here for a reason. They've got a part to play. They can be stewards of your unmerited favor to those around us. They can display the the multifaceted grace that gives us a better glimpse of who you are when we recognize you as the one who is wise and the one who is a healer and the one who can teach and the one who does new things. 
God, help every gift play its part so that we might see you clearer, we might worship you more, we might love you more. But God, we thank you for your love for us and your grace that you have poured out to us. We are so grateful that you love us, that you walk with us, that you continue to empower us, that you've got plans for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.